Pitch it to the post for the I knew that's what you were doing Damn when I looked at the date. Pitch it to the post for the mother, no returns. I feel like I actually got the whole saying out, so. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Are we starting a tally? Can do. You win November. Welcome to November, everybody. We've made it. Christmas is kind of in sight. Eesh. All right. No, no. <laughs> at least 50 days away. Have I got my maths here? 50 days, yeah, 50 plus. 50 plus days if you need to start getting things like your Christmas Santa photo booked in. I know that I'm going to book that in, yeah, hey, I'll do it today. Oh, that's right, you've got a child. I was like, um, Jess, <laughs> are you still getting photos? With, you should also you book it in. Photos with how are you going to know how you've, you've grown over the years if you don't have consistent Santa photos every year? I have actually seen uh, on the old TikTok people who take their dogs. Yes. They take their brand new puppy and the puppy keeps getting photos. Are you telling me you haven't done that with Bean yet? Well, I haven't, no, but Bean has, I believe, reached his final form, so I don't think any growth will continue. He's just a small boy for the rest of his life. Look, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll chuck it on the to-do list, see what we get with that one, shall we? There's your one reminder about Christmas photos. Here's the rest of the show. Kia ora, this is Newsable. I'm Jess. And I'm Imogen, and this is what's worth talking about. What changes to your workplace might you see when the next and new government is finally official. We're taking a look at what's happened so far during the coronial inquest into the Christchurch mosque attacks. New Zealand is taking on South Africa once again in a World Cup tonight. Can you believe it? This time it's cricket edition. But are we as a country even ready for that yet? I'm not sure your voice is and it certainly got us talking. How do you split the bill after a first date? We've got all that coming up in a moment here on Newsable. Newsable takes time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz slash support. So special votes and the final election result are out on Friday, which means we are one step closer to formally having a new government, which also means we're all in for a few changes. Government spending will be shifted around. There are plans to make some big government agency staff cuts. And there'll also be policy changes. And that's what we're going to focus on here because it's more than highly likely there'll be some movement and shake-ups when it comes to many people's jobs. So here to talk us through what we can expect to see reversed, introduced or scrapped is Jack Rainbow from Dunder Street, an employment firm. Kia ora, Jack. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Tēnā kōrua. Thank you for having me. Now, there are two major workplace pieces of legislation that came into force over the last three years. Let's start with 90-day trials. These were actually axed under Labour, but there's talk that we may see them return. What could that mean for working New Zealanders? Yeah, it's one of the few employment law policies, I guess if you can call it that, that National has released um, in the lead-up to the election. So, yeah, a valid uh, trial period prohibits an employee from raising a personal grievance with their employer if they're dismissed within the first 90 days of their employment. This was initially introduced by National back in 2009 and then expanded significantly to any employer in the country. Now, Labor originally campaigned on getting rid of these trial periods entirely. But what happened, I think, with the um, inclusion of New Zealand First in that coalition was they only were able to limit it to employers with less than 20 employees. So it wasn't actually scrapped entirely. It was just limited to a really small proportion of um, employers. Now, what National does want to do is expand that again to allow trial periods uh, to be used by any business, regardless of the size. Their rationale is that it would incentivize businesses to take risks and hire more employees. There was actually an interesting study was commissioned by the Treasury in 2016 that um, found there was actually no evidence that the use of trial periods really had any significant impact um, on hiring practices by businesses. 
it's also checked uh, fair pay agreements. This was a policy that was passed quite late in the piece, right? I think it was only last year. Can you quickly explain what FPAs are and if anyone or any industry was able to take advantage of having that legislation in play in that short time frame? So fair pay agreements, are, well, they were intended to be industry-wide or occupation-based agreements that would see employers and unions negotiate to set sort of core minimum entitlements across the whole industry or across a whole occupation. The intention uh, from the Labor government was that it would stop businesses from competing with each other by keeping wages low mm. and instead looking at other ways to you know, innovate. It's a really complex system and the, the legislation that was eventually passed is, is really difficult and complex, which is why it took so long, I think, in the, in the, link, in the span of the government to actually get it passed. Um, but it does look like it's going to be scrapped before anyone really gets to benefit from the system and all the hard work that was put into it. Is it really disruptive to have this chopping and changing when you change governments? Like you're just talking about so much work that, you know, people at MB will have done and now it's all, you know, in the dustbin, like you say, and they have to do a whole lot of stuff, uh, a whole lot of new stuff that the new government wants. Yeah, it's incredibly disruptive. It, I mean, employment laws really complex. I mean, that's why I have a job in the first place. Um, and it's really hard for businesses and employees to both know their rights and obligations when they change back and forth all the time. At a fundamental level, the Employment Relations Act, both parties actually fundamentally agree with sort of more or less where it's landed. You know, the basics of the Act and the mechanisms in the Act, they don't make any really major changes to it. They just tinker around the edges based on, you know, the colour of the government you know, whether that's to make it slightly more pro-business or slightly more pro-union. I think that problem's twofold and that one, like you say, it's disruptive for people trying to know what the state of the law is, but I think it also means governments are a bit afraid to have any major or radical thinking or changes in this space. You know, it kind of leads to a lack of innovation. Jack Rainbow from Dundas Street, thank you very much for your time and thank you for working in employment law so that I don't have to. (laughs) Thank you, Blast. Okay, I know we've barely recovered from the weekend. Some of us probably still are grieving and we're sorry to do this to you, but we're going to talk about New Zealand versus South Africa later in the show. But this time... It's cricket, and there is still hope the Black Caps can win. Come on, one for vengeance. Let's go, Black Caps. And remember, if you are enjoying what you're hearing, chuck us a like and a follow on your favourite podcast platform. That way we drop into your podcast feed every morning. The coronial inquest into the Christchurch mosque attacks has entered its second week. It's set to run for at least six weeks in total and will hear an unprecedented amount of evidence. Staff reporter Jake Kenny has been sitting in on the inquest since it started and is going to fill us in on what's been happening. Jake, thank you so much for being here. The inquest is really going through the events of March 15 with a fine-tooth comb minute by minute in some cases. What would you say have been the key elements which have stood out to you so far? Look, I think uh, much so far has been made of the call uh, police received from the parliament staff member. It was the first 111 call police received um, after a staff member had received a copy of the terrorist manifesto. So that was the 111 call that contained his name and his intended targets. And much has been made about whether if the call had been dealt with differently, would have things have been handled better? And there has been a suggestion that um, perhaps while he was at the first mosque, Al Noor, on Dean's Ave, when they received the email, uh, there has been a suggestion that if they'd uh, handled the call 
with a bit more urgency that there could have been police resources at the second target, um, the Linwood Islamic Centre, uh, before he actually arrived. But that that will be one for the for the coroner to ultimately determine. So that sounds like uh, pointing to things where we could have done a bit better. Are there other moments that have emerged that had that same sort of sentiment? We haven't had a whole lot more. Um, we've had a little bit from first responders at the start of this week. As to the timings, uh, there's been a little bit of scrutiny of just of how fast people were, were able to get to various scenes. And once police had cleared the scenes, how long it took for the ambulances to be allowed to come in. There's just sort of been the initial evidence on those points so far. Yeah, just a bit around timings and how efficiently things worked on the day and what obviously, you know, was a pretty chaotic event. Chaotic, tragic, uh, horrific, and one that we uh, know quite a lot about. But have we learned anything new throughout this last week or so? I think it's just more the ins and outs of that call. By the time police had received the call um, from the parliament staffers, shots were already being fired at our law. But the call was being was actually being taken just by chance by a, by an inexperienced call taker who was on her third or fourth shift. Now she had a supervisor who was monitoring the call, but between them and their shift manager on the day, um, the call never actually came to the attention of any of the police staff that were responding on the ground on the day. So whether that should have happened will obviously be something for the coroner. But that's I suppose we knew the about the existence of the call uh, and that it was the first one, but. But those ins and outs about, you know, who received it and how it was handled and, and whether it could have been handled better are some of the new aspects we've we've learned about. How does the coronial inquest work, Jake? Are parties and witnesses being cross-examined? Yes. So we have a lot of interested parties, about 140. Um, wow. So there are, there are lawyers representing large cohorts of those parties. So those are either, um, you know, families of, of some of the deceased or some people who themselves were shot and injured in either attack are being represented in large groups by lawyers. So I'd say there's around four or five lawyers who witness on average who's cross-examining them. So we'll have, you know, evidence in chief and then four or five lawyers, depending on if they have questions for that witness or not. Thank you so much for filling us in on everything that's been going on. Jake Kenny, Stuff Reporter, we really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Kia ora Aotearoa and welcome to The Big Stuff Quiz. I'm your host, Imogen Wells, alongside my assistant, the wonderful Chris Reid. Hello everyone. Each week we'll release a new episode to test your wits with two rounds of ten questions. One potluck round and another that's very loosely themed. A bit tangential even. Such a good word. If you think you're up for the challenge, go and follow our show on your favourite podcast platform, The Big Stuff Quiz, is out now. The Big Stuff Quiz is proudly brought to you by Melbourne. Every bit different. We're talking about a scrap over a bill after a first date a bit later, and you already know what I'm about to ask. We want your bad date stories. We want your awkward splitting the bill moments. Slide into our DMs on Insta, Newsable NZ, or flick us an email at newsable at staff.co.nz. Tonight, New Zealand will face off, are you ready for it, against South Africa in another World Cup. The Cricket World Cup, would you believe, has been going on all these last couple of weeks as well. The Black Caps have three pool matches left, including tonight's against the Proteas, and need to win at least two of these next three. Joining us now to crystal ball gaze about how tonight's match might go is staff senior sports reporter Ian Anderson. Ian, I don't know if I'm ready for another New Zealand-South Africa matchup. My voice hasn't even recovered. How are you feeling? 
It's a bit early for it, really, it's isn't it? too early. Surely World Rugby and World Cricket could have, you know, had a conversation. Yeah, they needed to balance these tournaments out a little bit instead of running concurrently, really. Will anyone other than me also be thinking about the Rugby World Cup final? Maybe the players when they take the field? Yeah, I suppose this, this cricket encounter isn't quite as crucial as to who actually wins the World Cup, but it, it's still a big game in terms of determining who gets there. Mm. And I wonder if we'll have some, you know, some TMO decisions to bitterly dispute about afterwards as well too. Are you trying to wind me up? <laughs> it's always possible with, uh, with cricket in the DRS system. South African though are a tough opponent. Can the Black Caps win? They've been very good so far, South Africa. They've had five wins out of six, and, and their loss was a surprise one um, to the Netherlands when they were chasing, uh, and that might be a key for the Black Caps. South Africa have been brilliant in terms of their batting. When they batted first, they've had three of the highest scores in the tournament so far, but haven't looked so good when they've had to chase a win. They almost didn't get up against Pakistan as well in their latest game, so it's possible that New Zealand... If they win the toss, uh, may look to bat first. The two games that have been played at Pune beforehand have been wins for the team that have batted second. But, you know, New Zealand might want to put South Africa under pressure by, by making them chase a decent tally. Captain Kane steady the ship. Williamson broke his thumb in a previous match. Could we see him return tonight? It was a little bit of a surprise, really, to hear Coach Gary Stead say that he could possibly have been able for this game. Uh, given that he broke his thumb two weeks ago, you would have thought at the time they mentioned that he might be available late in the tournament, which kind of felt like maybe the last game of group play against Sri Lanka and then playoffs if they made it that far. Uh, I know Williamson would be dying to play. He's only played one match of the tournament so far, but there are two games after this where they can still effectively clinch a place in the semifinals. It may just be worth keeping him just in Cottonwood a little bit longer having a chat to Andrew Vorman, our other cricket writer, when we were watching the game on uh, Saturday night against Australia. And we were both horrified to see Kane clapping with his thumb and embrace as well too during the game. You can just look after yourself, surely. Ian Anderson, Senior Stuff Sports Reporter, thank you so much for your time. And come on, Black Hats, give us the win. Cheers. Time for a yarn that I reckon... We're going to get everyone talking about. First dates and restaurant bills. Always, always, always a minefield to navigate. And this story, oh, has it all. I spotted this yarn on the Daily Mail and it reads, A woman received a shocking text the morning after a first date. That shocking text was from the guy she'd been out with asking her to send him money for the dinner bill after he had insisted on paying for it all the night before, he tried to Uno reverse. No, nope. He tried to hit the Uno reverse card and, and <laughs> flip his decision. I think if you've insisted, that's it. You can't. There's no take backs. He's like, the amount of pride you have to lose sending that text the next morning. Oh, speaking of, the story gets worse slash better, just more messy. So there's a screenshot in the article of this text. It says, good morning. I had a great time last night. This is the guy. Mm. After thinking it over, I think I will take you up on that splitting the dinner. I'm going to the game today. I'm assuming he's referring to a sporting match. I didn't realise I spent so much last night. Lol, can you Venmo me 50 bucks? For those unfamiliar, Venmo is an app that makes it easy to transfer money between people. I do believe that actually it was invented to make it easy to split bills. So then the girl replies and says, good morning. That offer expired when we left the restaurant, referring to splitting to the bill 
have fun at the game. Oh, you can hear the passive aggressiveness in that message. If he had any hope of a second date, that is over. He chucked a few emojis in there, I think, for good luck. So there are two questions here. Mm. Who pays on a first date? And if you split, how do you split it? There's a couple of schools of thought, isn't there? There's the idea that if you're the person who is asking the other person on a date, you should pay because you're asking. Mm. I personally, I don't know if I subscribe to that. I think it is good to split it if you can. But then the the thing you've got to consider is if you're not the person choosing the restaurant, if you've been asked on this date and they choose a hideously expensive restaurant that is way out of your price range normally, and then you're asked to split it, even contribute half maybe if you're not the one who chose, if you'd rather go to McDonald's because that's kind of what's in your <laughs> price range, then it's nice if, if they're going to produce the FPOS card and do the damage. I think you raise a very valid point there. And, but I also think if someone offers to split the bill, Take them up on it. <laughs> yeah. You're not increasing your swag by being all like, no, no, I got this. Especially if then you need to ask for the money the next yeah. day. Yeah. It is also, side note, my personal preference to just split it evenly down the middle. If there's two of us dining 50-50, I'm not a fan of the old, well, I got this, you got that. I yeah. didn't have this unless, of course, you know someone uh, who's been up front beforehand and says, hey, I'm not that hungry or hey, I'm saving for something. They have to say that at the beginning of the meal. They can't then say that once it's time to pay because that, that changes the game. No swag. Yeah, you're right. No swag at all. Yeah, it's communication is key here, I think, if you're up front. And, and people, you know, you, they can sense it when people are getting tense about the bill. Oh, uh. there's nothing. Nothing would ruin the dinner more. Anyway, okay, I feel people are going to have a lot of opinions on this. So remember to get in touch with us about your first date or your bill splitting yarns. We want to hear them. We need to hear them. Message us on Instagram or flick us an email, newsable at stuff.co.nz. That's newsable. For today, I'm Jessica McCarthy. And I'm Imogen Wells. And you know what also I hate is waiting in queue behind people who are splitting the bill and saying, oh, well, I didn't get that, I didn't get that. <laughs> Just split it even. <laughs> Fade her down. Fade her down. She's on a rant. <laughs> This pod took time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz support.